Welcome to the Horizon Zero podcast about what we think, what we say, what we see, and what we don't see in a digital world fast merging with the rest of life. Where is that going? Well, that's up to us. Will it be coexistence, conflict, harmony? I can't tell you the future, but what I can tell you is we can be ready for any of them. So let's dive in. Hi, my name is Mark Fidelli. Welcome to the Horizon Zero podcast, and we are rolling right in. We're going to have a lot of fun today. We're going to have a lot of fun moving forward, and we're not going to try to overguess, overthink, overanalyze. We're going to act. We're going to learn. We're going to react. We're going to pivot, and we're going to build a plan as we go. So for today, I'd like to introduce this podcast, the very first episode, why we're doing it, a little background on me, and where did all this thinking that you're going to hear about come from. First, I'd like to fully acknowledge that there are some great people doing fantastic work in the same area that I am. I was just looking at some congressional testimony and some research by Heather Connolly on the Kremlin and its playbook, and that really sparked the first version. This She's on her second, uh, The Enablers, part two, and we're all enablers. <laughs> we're all enablers of foreign, what they call active measures in our country if we are thoughtlessly, mindlessly consuming information without discerning what we're reading. It is very easy to take a polarized people and further divide them just by telling them what they already think about the other side that's bad. That's easy to do in a country like ours that's been built up on the idea that Democrats and Republicans are so far apart that there's no more common ground. But that really is not true. If you've worked in Washington long enough and people like Heather Connolly are examples of this. And you'll notice if you read any of her work, she's not pulling punches on policy positions. She's not mealy-mouthed, milk-toast, bland. She has positions and opinions, but she's working in the institutional framework that's long been proven and established in our tradition and that has governed our country, the world's oldest and largest democracy still standing. And you can do partisan policy work from a particular point of view as a team player. And so many people in the national security world that are not political appointees, but maybe were once or at least rose up through the ranks and understand the issues, aren't just throwing out buzzwords for points. Those are the people that I listen to and I follow. And I'm trying to summarize for those of you who are less engaged in this community, less embedded within it, but aware that we don't want to enable other countries to undermine what we have by tapping our partisan or just our consumeristic, short-term focused tendencies and exploit us and weaken us. Because, oh, by the way, that's what they're trying to do. So that's what Horizon Zero is about. Let's not let that happen. And in fact, if we push back, I think other countries are smart enough to adapt and adjust 
and change their playbook if we stay strong. So that's what I'm hoping you be part of. That's my belief. If I'm wrong, then we pivot. But that's my going in proposition today, 75 years to the day after the Normandy invasion. And that's where we're starting. Who knows where we'll end up, but welcome you to the journey. Again, Mark Fideli, this is Horizon Zero. That's how we're gonna do it. Just to start, I want you to get acclimated to some of the basic ideas of why I wrote the book, Horizon Zero, why when I publish it, I think now's a good time, why it's relevant to you, and where do we go from here? So you'll hear me answering some specific questions that me and my publisher came up with. Kent Gustafson, my publisher, has been fantastic, instrumental. His publishing company, Blooming Twig, has nurtured me. I'm a first-time author. We've been working on this for five years, and I've been working on the research for about 20 years, and I could go on and on. So what helps me is just to ask some very specific questions, limit myself to a few minutes of answer, and allow you to kind of work through my own Q&A and follow along. As we get going, we'll have interviews, we'll have multiple threads going at once where we're talking about multiple topics and really trying to understand some hard challenges like economics and artificial intelligence or the DOD acquisition process and emerging technology and try to combine concepts and, and ideas in what I call, again, a fusion of horizons. I find that that is a really powerful thing to do when you get well-developed ideas and you get them to clash in a dialogue, and sometimes they deconstruct each other and make each other better. And I find that's as true of persons as it is of ideas. So that's my basic format, but for now, I'm just gonna walk you through the basics. So you'll hear me walk through some questions, answer them, move on to the next topic, and that's our show for today. And when we're done, we'll wrap it up with a few concluding thoughts, and then we'll be on to next week. So with that, let's go. So my name is Mark Fideli. I have been writing for about 20 years since my graduate research. I'd say writing into the idea of Horizon Zero. It didn't start as a national security concept, but in 20 years of work in software and technology, venture capital, probably for the first 10 years of my career, and now the last 10 have been heavy in the national security world for the Department of Defense and uh, other government agencies. It's become clear to me that what I'm writing into isn't just where I started, but it's where I'm ending up. And what I mean by that is this is kind of a strategy book about two ideas and Horizon and zero are the blending of these two ideas. First, let's start with zero, actually. Phase zero is a strategic idea that before the fighting begins, you want to win the battle. So the Chinese master strategist Sun Tzu is the one who's credited for saying that. You don't win, you actually lose by having to fight a war. And Eisenhower said the same thing, and of course he was trained in this kind of thinking. He said, man fights man, nation fights nation, but man fights war as well. And war is hell if you've read even a little bit about it. And why resort to that when you can exert your will in such a way that you can get what you want 
before fighting is required. So that's phase zero. Simple concept, hugely important for diplomacy, for national planning, for investments. The whole national intelligence and national strategy world operate on the idea that the U.S. has won a phase zero battle by setting up a global community that people want to trade in and interact in freely and not under oppression. And that's our phase zero strategy, and it's played out well. They call it Pax Americana in some circles, like Pax Romana was kind of a basic concept, but that certainly included a lot less freedom than we have. So you might even say that this is one of the best times to be alive in the world. I'm sure not everybody agrees with that, but generally, if you follow Steven Pinker and Enlightenment Now and look at the data, life expectancy, healthcare costs going down, quality of care going up, certainly crime going down, and we're even thinking about ways of softening criminal punishments and reforming the juvenile justice and the adult justice system, which is long overdue. But those are the kinds of things that can happen when there's relative peace. And that is all directly tied to a strategy of freedom, liberal democracy, free markets. Give people throughout the world the incentive to work together. So the other half concept, the other part of this is the horizon. And in my field in communication, one of the great theorists and scholars, Hans-Georg Gadamer, German, from the turn of the century into, actually he lived through the whole 20th century. He recognized that communication isn't just send and receive. It's each communicating person, each participant in a dialogue or in a transaction or in a war are in a fusion of horizons. Each person brings their own horizon of meaning, of understanding, all the ways that they look at the world. And this is as true for a person, again, as it is for a country or a corporation. So now you have the other half of Horizon Zero, a fusion of horizons, communication, dialogue. So we, the United States, through largely the onset of global communication, globalization, the internet, we're all connected throughout the world, humans, in a way that's never been seen, certainly not by one medium, you know, the, the web. And now that fusion of horizons is really possible. Countries and people from anywhere in the world can interact across languages and nations and with enough effort and travel, that doesn't just have to be superficial. That can be real commitment to engage. And so that whole engagement between people and groups in a dialogue, but also over time, that's a fusion of horizons. So horizon zero is the merger of these two concepts, phase zero and fusion of horizons. We're in a phase zero situation. So is China, so is Russia, notably Iran as well. And the world notices that. Because we're all on the same communication platform, which the 2016 elections showed is obviously a means to disrupt our society through social media and our elections and so forth, our news cycles, that fusion of horizons is within a phase zero game. But we want phase zero within a horizon zero game, or excuse me, within a fusion of horizons. What I mean is you want strategy and communications to work together. And underneath this idea, there is a great amount of research 
James Grunig is one of the great communications research. He did a 15-year study of the best practices in corporate communications and found when strategy decisions and communication decisions are made in close concert, in other words, don't make your decisions and then figure out how you're going to message it, understand that you're being observed in all that you do and make decisions that are easy to defend. You know, be one of the good guys. Don't exploit. Don't oppress. Don't lie. Create win-win transactions. And companies that do that communicate best and operate best. And that's why their framework is called excellent communication. So that really was the click for me because I do a lot of strategic communications work and I hate having to message a bad idea. There's nothing that bothers me more than just being an automaton of messaging. And sometimes you do it, you take one for the team, but it's always better to have a great story to tell and bring people into that. And I guess that's my venture capital and entrepreneurial background coming in. So when you read Horizon Zero, you're gonna get a nice dose of strategy, you're gonna get a nice dose of technology, and you're gonna get a nice dose of communication straight to your head, hopefully to loosen up the muscles that are not used to working and thinking kind of at this meta level where you realize that you're part of a connected world order where anybody can really be the head. I mean, isn't that what it means? We have these devices in our hands and data streaming in at all times and powered to do more than we think. Well, if we got ourselves together and really saw the landscape, I think the way it's there to be seen, I don't think I'm making it up, as you read, you'll see there are so many reasons to be engaged with the events of the world and not sort of cage yourself off in consumer land to transact and communicate and selfie just for your own advantages and status, but be part of something bigger. So why write a book called Horizon Zero about this strategic contest? In other words, what do I have to offer? And that's a great question. <laughs> I ask myself that all the time. I guess since I started this journey 20 years ago, not knowing now what I know working in the national security community, I guess I've connected the dots on how communication changes related to the internet and all things digital, as well as generational changes with the millennials as obviously, as we all like to say, the first internet natives. But that's a really big deal when you take a vantage point of uh, communication history and think about how media changes bring significant sort of secondary changes. And so I'm writing to kind of go back over what is some charted ground, maybe not super well charted, and bring that into the present discussion. So, so what do I mean by that? Elizabeth Eisenstein is a communication historian and looked at the printing press as an agent of change. And that's really an analog for, funny word, an analog for digital change. It's a comparative model that we can look at. So the printing press produced the Protestant Reformation by putting the Latin text of the Bible potentially into individuals' hands uh, in the vernacular. And in doing that, we had the ability to democratize, if you will, the function of interpreting scripture, which is a huge deal. And also the scientific enlightenment, like the Reformation, 
had a lot to do with standardized texts. So a formula is a formula is a formula wherever you write it. But if you're only writing in hand script, handwriting, or word of mouth, it's very hard to distribute all the functions and the foundational mathematical information and scientific information that is required for a scientific community to come forward and do research and share ideas and challenge the church and all those things, right? It's a tough time in the printing press era for the Catholic Church. They gave way to Galileo and they gave way to Luther, largely through the printing press. And the third control, I guess that you could say, was lost, or the third gain was the actual mechanism of producing books is the model for, you know, the Industrial Revolution. And that's the third huge pillar. So people ask me, why is this book that I'm writing relevant? What does it matter for me, for my kids, for my work? And that's probably the hardest question because the world moving to a high level of dependence on digital technology, eventually things like artificial intelligence, 5G. I mean, how, how do you know how relevant it is? There's so many people that are going to build applications creatively come up with hacks and solutions and new combinations of tools that impact every part of the workplace you can imagine. I mean, that, that's what happens when you have a big platform change in technology. It started with the voice, it went to literacy and then books and handwriting and laws that could be codified and written down and remembered. And then, after a very long period of writing, you had the printing press in you know, the 15th century. And that made, as I mentioned before, the Protestant Reformation, the Scientific Enlightenment, and the Industrial Revolution all emerge on the strength of the printing press. And not a lot of people saw it that way. They just went forward in industry and with science and with reforming the church and protesting and creating its own church culture. So we know the digital world is disruptive. What I want to say is that it's not nearly done being disruptive. And in fact, there's like a linear part of this where we're going to progress, continue to see applications. Certainly in the next 10 years, artificial intelligence is set to be, you know, $15 trillion of market value. And China and the U.S. are going to gain the lion's share of that, which pulls us away from the rest of the world as sort of leaders in technology. So that's the linear part is that's just going to be progress. But there's also something circular. And I'm going to write a lot about it and want you to read it. So I don't want to steal my own thunder. But the circular part is, in many ways, the return or excuse me, the the rise of digital capabilities so embedded in our lives is a return to the human voice, oral communication, more dialogue, more interaction, more feedback. I mean, that's what internet marketers have realized. Seth Godin, I was just at an event where he was speaking just two weeks ago, and it's all about that smallest viable market, not the mass reach of print and mass media and television. So that's what digital means. It's a small, focused conversation. And that means the human voice and what I call resonance is kind of this return. And I think there's a renaissance in resonance, and that's highly relevant. And I could get into all the details, but I want to save that for readers to think of themselves. 
because that's the point about the Renaissance. It's not, tell me what to do, I'll go do it, make my life better, check. That's the linear approach. The circular approach, or even the cyclical approach, is this is a chance to go back to our roots, to our humanitarian roots, and appreciate beauty and wonder and the things that made the West the West, because that stuff's going to be contested. All right, so this is the big question. Why now? I'm sitting in my deck. It's a beautiful Friday. I could easily not bother my mind. You could probably hear the birds. Light traffic in the background. It's beautiful. It's perfect. Why disrupt myself and others with this idea, Horizon Zero? We're in a contest. China and Russia are seriously interjecting their influence in the world in ways that challenge the democratic world order and that's going to continue it's all the way up to and including our devices our politics so why bother and why now and i'll say this i'm not totally sure if now is the time i don't know if i'm ahead of this or if i'm behind but for me now comes down to this i am a father with four kids i got good health right now. I'm probably halfway through my life and I've done a lot of different things. I've not hit the ball out of the park in any one thing that I feel motivated to do. And I think that's partially because I have this inside aversion to just success for myself. I feel like I got to be part of something bigger. And I see in this younger generation, the millennials and even my kids who are younger than the millennials, And it's not exclusive to them. A lot of my friends have this. Certainly tons of people I serve with at work who have a military background. This is deeply ingrained and has to be. And that's putting your 110% forward in whatever work you're doing for something that really makes a huge difference that you could see. And when I say see, you might be generations away from seeing, but I certainly believe we live beyond this life. And even if I didn't, my kids are going to see it. And to see my progress for them is enough. And so what's the progress? Why now? Horizon Zero. There's a PwC report out there on artificial intelligence and the amount of money that's going to be made by the U.S. and by China through investments in artificial intelligence in the next 10 years, you know, the 2020s, Those investments and those technology decisions are happening now. And now is the time to get ahead of a world dependent on machines. Machines in the loop, machines on the loop, machines on many loops connecting many dots on their own. That's a whole world that we're not prepared for. And so now is the time to prepare. And so why Horizon Zero? because it's a framework for getting prepared, first for yourself, then in your sort of interpersonal networks, your family, your community, your dear friends, your social network, your sort of acquaintances and secondary friends, folks you do for and do with. And of course, if you're a person of faith, that means your church or community of faith that certainly should believe that it's not just about us. Isn't that what faith is? So for all of those reasons, now's the time to prepare people who aren't probably thinking about the way changes 
in technology and our dependence on digital things is giving the world over to artificial intelligence options, as in artificial intelligence systems, machines, computers that are programmed are going to have huge data sets that are gathering, being gathered now by the things we're doing, online, offline, our backgrounds. And let's just say in the next five to ten years, quantum computing and other kinds of computing just make it so much easier to break through encryption and just get data from anywhere. So let's assume that there's a totally transparent data world or significantly transparent and machines can suck in data, tell what our patterns are, and make their own choices based on how predictable we are. So now's the time to not be so predictable. And we happen to be in the country that has earned the right to lead the free world. Just yesterday was 75 years since the Normandy invasion. In my book, I shouldn't even, I hate when I say that, my book. In my writing and research for my life, which happens to include writing a book, I've really fixated on people in the strategy world like Eisenhower, Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, the wise men, you know, Nitze and Dean Acheson and certainly George Kennan, these others, and even now, Dambisa Moyo and other Ian Bremmer, global thinkers, a friend I know named Mark Vansel, uh, best kept secret, unbelievable global thinker. These are people who see trends and patterns emerging and have been telling us things are not all well in the free world. Well, what do you think is going to change that and make it either better or worse is our choices. And artificial intelligence are going to give autocrats a chance to say, compute, go store up all this information and run it through your algorithms and see what you can cause in the human world. So the Christchurch killer in New Zealand recently, March 15th, was an extreme example of somebody who was algorithmically triggered. And there's a wonderful podcast on the daily, like I think it was March 16th or 17th or 21st or something in that time frame that breaks us down. And I really appreciated how probing the dialogue was. And that's, that just triggered something for me. Now, now is the time to get out in front of this question. And so the question for me, the Horizon Zero question is, are we going to be the kind of nation that is consumed by our screens, our video games, our patterns of behavior and consumption that assume we're so safe and so secure? Or are we going to recognize that our habits now and our data now are exploitable? And this is a leadership moment and a multi-generational leadership moment at that. And that's what I'm about. I'm about facilitating that. Even if it's wrong, putting some ideas on the board through this book, through my podcast here, through the work that I do, and seeing how people react. And in that, I think goodness follows. It's not even about agreement. It's about causing a dialogue to disrupt our complacency. And causing a dialogue is something that we're in a great time to do because I'm sitting here with a pretty low-cost microphone and telephone in my hands, and I could do it. And so can you. Anyone, anywhere can spark change. And if it's thoughtful and if it resonates in the human heart and your data is solid and you're tracking to reality, you can make a difference. 
You could be a voice. No one needs to be waiting permission. So now's when I'm doing that, and that's why now. So that was it, our first installment of the Horizon Zero podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. We're just rolling right in. We're not overproducing. We're not overthinking. We're just talking. We talked about the relevance, but that's really up to you. If you think it's relevant, tell a friend. Provide some feedback. You'll see ways you could do that at the bottom of the podcast, where you find it in iTunes and other places. And get at me. Let's talk. Send data. Send your thoughts. I'm hoping to build a podcast network, or excuse me, a a, a network of people, maybe eventually a podcast network, a network of people that are in dialogue. I'm part of probably six or seven different discussion threads that include people in Slack and on email and SharePoint, unfortunately. And I want all of these folks to know what each other are doing, different kinds of work, and I want to try to do what I can to cross-pollinate. But for now, I just ask some simple questions that brings the question really back to you. Are you an enabler of a world, a technology world that's unchecked? Are your habits of digital engagement thoughtful? That's where we're gonna go. We just happen to have a world set up now where we're being exploited and taken advantage of and polarized through bots and various forms of digital strategies, all rolling up to national strategies to weaken America's role in the world. And why is that? Because we've not taken the shortcut of autocracy and control. We've allowed liberal freedom, democratic institutions, free press, opposition to discrimination, the rule of law to flourish here slowly and steadily, backed by American might and power. That's at risk in the next 10, 20 years. You'll see that more, but it's at risk today. Don't be an enabler of that. So that's what I'm here, hopefully, to help you to see your way out of. And I can't talk my way out of it. We'll just have to do it together. And it's going to take action. So enough with the words. Let's get to the action. Peace. Peace.